Hello, everyone, and welcome to David and Nicole's Survivor Podcast. I am David, and with me, as always, is... Nicole, hello! How are you doing today, Nicole? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. Another good episode of Survivor. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a complete shocker who got voted out, at least for me, but uh, <laughs> I thought it was still good drama throughout the entire episode, and even at Tribal Council. So, all in all, a very good episode. Uh, we do have a special guest, Justin, uh, who writes a bl- Survivor blog uh, entitled The Midside. We'll be on to talk with us. Before we do that, we have some Survivor announcements. All right, so the views for this week were 10.5 million. That is uh, actually really good. Uh, we're up from last week, and also the X Factor dropped to, I think, around 10.8. So we're pretty much on par with them. So, so this is pretty good. Also, just want to let you know, we are going to have even more guests in the future. Coming in October, we're going to be talking with Brenda Porter from Brenda's Survivor Blog. And also, uh, my friend Kieran, who is part of Online Reality Gaming, um, which is basically playing Survivor online. Um, so we'll get to hear all about that and everything. So stay tuned for both of those uh, special guests coming on the podcast. Should we get Justin on the line? Yeah. All right, let's do it. All right. We have Justin Lesneski on the line. Hey, Justin, how are you? Hey. So you uh, have a Survivor blog. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your blog and how you started it and sort of why? Well, I'll start with a little bit about myself because that really explains why I do the blog. I'm 28 years old. I live in Southern California, and I'm an aspiring writer. I'm currently finishing up my first novel. So I have a lot of interest in storytelling in its many forms, and that manifested in the Survivor blog, because I've noticed, especially over the later seasons, when the show became less about the interpersonal dynamics, they mm-hmm. started to more heavily edit storylines with you know metaphors and meanings behind it. So it kind of my fandom in Survivor transitioned to that. Yeah, that's really cool. Um... If you wanna you wanna plug your your blog quick, tell everyone where they can go to check it out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My blog is at themidside.blogspot.com. Let me spell that. It's t h e m i d s i d e dot blogspot.com. You can check it out. I've got my first two from the first two episodes. I'll be writing the third this weekend for the episode that just aired, and all of my stuff from. Redemption Island is up there, and my entire Lost blog, because that's kind of really the genesis of all this. Okay, so you started off with Lost, and then moved on to Survivor? Yeah, well, it's kind of weird how it works. Uh, It actually starts with Survivor, goes to Lost, and goes to Survivor. So, I'm sure everyone's familiar with Survivor Sucks, right? Oh, yes. Right. Back in the day, there was this guy, Tape Watcher. Have you guys heard of him? I have not, no. If you go to Monster Island on Survivor Sucks, it's a forum where they keep all their old posts, all their really you know awesome stuff. Because mm-hmm. Sucks used to be like the premier website back in the day. Yeah. And when I first got into Survivor was when I was a freshman in college and Africa was there. Mm-hmm. So I was watching it and I went, you know, I'm curious. I use the internet to find information. And I found this guy's post and... This guy basically tore apart the editing visually, and he had these these two theories. The first was called The Dog That Didn't Bark, and it was about Tina Wesson. And the basic idea was 
because she was not shown in the episode and everyone else was, that clued her into being the winner. That was the, the, the key. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for Africa was, it was called Follow the Star. And it was the whole idea that there was this Jesus metaphor with Ethan, and there was a specific star that followed him. And there was this whole contrast between him and Silas and the way they were playing the game. And I was, you know, I was a freshman in college at this point. I was just exploring, becoming a writer. And it really appealed to me because it was this other side of the show. So I followed that for a while. I tried to do it a little bit, but I wasn't really that educated. Then I, you know, I got my degree. I started writing more. And then Lost came along, and for seasons two through six of Lost, I just wrote this intense story analysis. And I wasn't as into Survivor, though I still watched every episode live. But when Lost finally ended, and, you know, Rob was on Redemption Island, I just found myself looking at the editing and going, wow, there's a really interesting story going on there. Mm-hmm. Especially after the story that was done with Fabio, too. That was yeah, that was really interesting to me as well. So it was kind of... You know, I learned a lot, and then as I got older, I started to see the show from a different perspective as the show changed, too, because it's most certainly a different show than it was in the beginning. Absolutely, yeah. So this season, is it true that you sort of cut off all sort of, like, internet blogs and podcasts and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, there's actually a a funny-slash kind of revealing story about that, uh... Last season, it was kind of obvious to me from the beginning that Rob won, but I was so involved in the Survivor community, and I let myself take them seriously that, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there was so much speculation last season about Andrea winning. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was so obvious to me that she didn't, because every one of her stories was about Matt. Like, every episode was like, well, Matt did this and Matt did that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it just, to me, it wasn't, it was, it was obvious she wasn't going to win, but... I let it put doubt in my head, and I, I just—I feel like in order to more purely analyze the show and understand it better, I just have to cut that off. And yeah, I mean, I was in this group on Facebook called Previously on Survivor. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, I was in that, and there's some good people in that. Uh, Mario Lanza, who does the Funny 115. Uh, yeah. I'm sure you've heard of him. Oh, yes. Yeah, Mario's in that. He's a good friend of mine, so he invited me in, and... You know, there are some good people, and I met some great people, and I have friends from that I still talk to. But as for the group itself, I left that. The only thread I read on Socks is my own that I put my column in to kind of cross-post it there and, you know, get some more readers. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I just try to stay away from that because I want to have full confidence in my own writing and my own analysis and not be jaded by anyone else because a lot of people analyze the show based upon who they want to win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so intriguing that you look so deeply at this game. I know a lot of people just watch it for entertainment, and they don't really analyze it the way that you do. I, I don't analyze it the way you do. Well, I mean, it's, it's all about what, what you get for enjoyment, you know? I mean, I totally yeah. respect that people want to watch it for that level of, you know, entertainment. But I'm a writer, as I said, and mm-hmm. this is what appeals to me. You know, I'll watch anything. To, to see the storylines in it. I mean, mm-hmm. sure, if I watch Jersey Shore because I want to see what they're going to do with the characters, you know? Yeah. It just, I just consume anything. I mean, the new TV season just started. It's really intense for me because I'm constantly, like, looking at what the new shows are and seeing that I want to watch them. Like, right now, How to Be a Gentleman is on, and I told my friend that we'd watch it after I got done with this. So just any form of storytelling, I see it. And that's actually one of the things that's really appealing to me about Survivor, even though it's a reality show. And 
there's so much crappy reality show out there. I mean, I just said I watched Jersey Shore. I know crappy reality shows. But Survivor, <laughs> in whatever iteration it is, has always had that high level of quality that you have to respect. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. The game has definitely evolved over the years, but it's always been about storytelling. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I mean, that's why I love it. I mean, in the beginning, it was much more, you know, character-based storytelling, but... Yeah. As you know, as Jeff Probst said, and I quoted this in my first my first edition this this season, he said, "You have to tell the same story over and over again so things change." So it's not as much character focused anymore. You know, they kind of have the different archetypes and the different kind of figures that they stay within, but it's more about the overall story, and it's almost a story about the game itself. And that's kind of what got me back into it a little bit mm-hmm. because. To a certain extent, the strategy is all the same. It's the same iterations over and over again. Yeah. But last season, and I guess it kind of, you could even argue it started with Heroes versus Villains. They kind of start, or even Samoa, with the way Russell played. They started telling a story about the game itself. And yeah. it was like, what is this game, and why do we take it so seriously? And why do these people in the community take it so seriously? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, should we start talking about uh, this this past episode then? Hey, you guys are in charge, man. I'm not the mastermind of this alliance, so if that's what you guys want to do, just don't vote me out and we'll be cool. All right, sounds good. Um, so, yeah, we're going to do Survivor Spotlight, talk about different things that sort of stood out this episode, and uh, if you just want to chime in and sort of give your thoughts of it and of how it sort of fits within the storyline of this season, uh, we'd love to hear what you think of it. Okay, sounds good. So the first uh, topic I sort of have is Brandon who is uh, definitely a focal point this episode. Sort of just a constant struggle between good and evil, trying to live outside of his uncle's shadows. And probably the biggest thing was him telling everyone that he was Russell's nephew um, and revealing his tattoos and everything. Did you have any thoughts on that uh, of Brandon, Justin? Well, I mean, first off, I think we have to say strategically, you have to decide day one to either say, I'm going to tell them at the beginning or I'm not going to tell them at all. Yeah. Because the fact that he waited just shows that, you know, even if he's, you know, it's not conscious, which obviously it's not conscious deception on his part, he's clearly conflicted. Yeah. It clearly shows that psychologically you just can't trust him. He's unpredictable and he's unstable. and You don't want somebody like that in your life. Definitely not. <laughs> it reminds me of sort of like a Shane from Survivor Panama of someone who's just could break out at any moment and you have no idea what he's going to do. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like Shane was at least loyal. I mean, at the end of the day, he was the one who kind of got backstabbed. Mm-hmm. I feel like Brandon's the one who's going to try and backstab someone, you know? Yeah, Brandon is just the absolute loose cannon. Um, I felt so bad for how he treated Michaela. Like, even though he doesn't like her, like, she went off and she was crying because she felt like no one liked her, and she didn't know why. And I think that Brandon has a lot of issues to deal with, and he's kind of taking it out on Michaela. Yeah, and uh, I think it's actually the opposite, though. I think he does like her, and that's the issue. I think he's oh, yeah. conflicted with his attraction to her. I mean, yeah. who can blame him for being attracted to her, right? I mean, look at her. She's so physically fit. It's ridiculous. But, yeah, I mean, that scene actually uh, interested me. I- I'd like to see what you guys thought about that that whole scene of her crying, because this is the reason it was interesting to me, is usually when they have someone crying, they cut in with confessionals where the character explains, right? Mm -hmm. But with Michaela, they didn't do that. It was all Brandon. So how did you guys respond to that scene? 
Yeah, they. I found that very interesting. I noticed that they just show her crying and then immediately go back to Brandon. Uh, and I think they talk. Uh, Sophie has a confessional talking about how volatile Brandon is. But yeah, they sort of just show her crying. Like it makes you feel sympathetic, but you don't. You don't actually see her side of it. I was surprised that she wasn't. They didn't have her saying anything in the show and. It just her crying. I, I thought it was very sad. I felt so bad for her. Yeah, and that's what that's what I'm wondering is if they were simply, you know, they don't. It was like they didn't want to show her as weak. They didn't want to show her as strong. They were just like, look, she's crying. It's just purely a reaction shot. And that's really interesting to me because something I pay attention to in the editing is when they're 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 making very intricate moves to craft the character. And to me, that was a very intricate move to craft her character. It was a very conscious decision because it's, to me, I don't ever remember that being done in Survivor. And it was a very intricate move to, to show her, but not show her evaluation of it. Mm-hmm. But just to go back to uh, Brandon for a second, storyline-wise, because, you know, I kind of talked about strategy. But the storyline-wise, the interesting thing about Brandon is he's kind of playing the role you would think Coach would have played. Yeah. Because Coach had this very these two diametrically opposed edits in, in Token Teens and Heroes vs. Villains. In mm-hmm. Token Teens, he was, you know, this over-the-top kind of comedic, unintentional comedic character. And then in Heroes vs. Villains, he was kind of this tragic character who you wanted to see overcome. But now he's the stable one, and Brandon's playing the role you would kind of have expected him to come in with. So it's really interesting to me that they gave Brandon that role and not Coach. Yeah, we haven't seen, I would say, unfortunately, seen enough crazy coach. You know, I, I don't know if maybe he's truly learned from his mistakes, or maybe I'm, I'm thinking subconsciously he may sort of want to separate himself from Philip since they were compared so much last season. And this is his yeah, way I mean, of that proving. May, that may definitely be it. Uh, this is his way of proving it. Look, we're different people. I can actually do well. I'm not just the laughing stock sort of a thing. I mean, yeah, that, that may be it, but it, it may be other things as well, and this may actually reveal kind of the way they edit everything. Uh, since I'm living up in L.A. now, because I just moved out here about a year ago, I got to go to the, the Nicaragua. They have like a night before the finale, and they all hang out in a hotel lobby, all the former survivors and the people who are on the show. And with Mario, I actually got to meet Coach. Oh, cool. And one of the things he said to us was, if he was ever on the show again, he was just going to go full on with Coach thing. And it's interesting that now he's on the show again, and he doesn't seem to be doing that. Mm-hmm. So what that makes me think is it shows the editing. Because, you know, you've got these people for 39 days, 24 hours a day. I mean, pure amount of footage they have Yeah, is, is, is just ridiculous. So they can make you pretty, pretty much any way they want. Mm-hmm. So what it makes me think is he is still doing those coach things because I remember very distinctly before the hero challenge in episode one, you see coach going into his sort of prayer position and like with a big smirk on his face. Mm-hmm. And I think he's probably still doing those things, but they're really going out of their way to portray him as this mature person. Mm-hmm. And it's also very interesting because once again, it's a very well-crafted edit. So what's their intention there? Yeah. Do you, do you think that Coach is sort of getting a, a winner's edit in this scenario? Uh, I think if the storyline is going in a way I don't anticipate it to go, I think he's getting a winner's edit, and he's certainly in my top three contenders. I would probably have him as my number three contender at this point. 
But here is my issue with Coach as a winner's edit. In episode two, if you recall from my column, I pointed out that Coach said either it's going to be Coach Wade is duped again or it's going to be redemption for the Hans family. Yeah. And the way Brandon has been edited, I, I don't <laughs> see it as he, him getting redemption. No. And they wouldn't have put in that comment of linking Coach winning with Brandon getting redemption Yeah. if Coach won. But, now, it's always possible I'm wrong and Brandon gets redemption. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But uh, apparently it wasn't this episode, and it doesn't look like it's going to be next episode. <laughs> well, right. So, they're, I mean, they're really going out of their way to set Brandon up for big-time redemption if he, if he is redeemed, which almost makes you think, well, then is Brandon going to win if, if it's a redemption storyline? But once again, that doesn't fit with the coach winning storyline so yeah yeah that's uh, that's that's why i don't have them lined up in my number one spot because it seems like they're setting brandon up for a, a big fall i mean they yeah. essentially made him russell hand and if it's not a big fall it's going to be a big short of the top and how can in survivor how can you rise to the top if you're not winning you know what i mean yeah the only place upward i think brandon can go is to win but mm-hmm. it seems to be that if brandon gets redeemed coach wins so how can you resolve both of those storylines yeah. and have one of them win, which is why they're not in my, my top two spots. I guess the only way that could happen is if Brandon somehow sacrifices himself for Coach to win. You know, maybe he pulls an Ian at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I can't see him doing it, though. I could see I him see doing, doing more of either. a Dreams. Yeah, I've, I've, heard, uh, I've heard some comparisons with Dreams, which I thought was a, a funny funny comparison especially because i just introduced my roommate to survivor and we're watching fiji right now so he got a kick out of that comparison because <laughs> he really cannot stand dreams so. <laughs> well let's move off brandon talks about uh redemption island we had our first redemption island duel uh christina versus semhar one thing i thought was really interesting is they showed a lot of christina just bad mouthing coach and just the bitterness they had there yeah, I mean, storyline-wise, once again, that they're really trying to build a coach. Like, they really want us to like him. You know, he's no longer the joke. Like, I didn't think that came off as liking Christine. No, because yeah. so far she's been shown to be pretty mean. Do you guys agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I still and, and enjoy her more guys, than... I still enjoy her more than Semhar, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, without a doubt. <laughs> but, yeah, definitely not one of my favorite uh, characters on the show. Well, right, and that's, I mean, they've very intentionally done that. Uh, where, where in the country are you all from? I'm from North Carolina. I'm from Illinois. Okay, so neither of you guys really know, like, the way the Long Island attitude works, the way that people have that, right? I know a little bit of it, yeah. Yeah. Well, Christine very much has that Long Island attitude. I'm from the Northeast. I know a lot of people from Long Island. And I'm sure in real life she's a very, very nice person, and it's just, you know, it's just that New York Long Island attitude coming out. But they've, they've edited it to make her this kind of mini-villain and trying to tear down Coach to make us really like Coach. It's mm-hmm. really interesting they're doing that. Yeah, I find, I find that very interesting. And and then we, of course, get to the actual duel, uh, Semhar versus Christine, and they're, they're holding their totem poles up uh, on poles, trying not to get it to drop. We got to hear another of Semhar's poems, 
which I don't know about you, but I personally do not enjoy her poetry. <laughs> well, I'm not a fan of uh, slam poetry in general. Uh, undergrad, I had to go to one of those for one of my one of my writing classes. They made me go and listen to them, and I just, you know, I just don't get it. But I did find that very interesting storyline-wise because they created a very interesting dichotomy between Christine and Semhar. Semhar's poem was all about doing it for for him you know mm-hmm. and contextually we know that the him is she's got the feeling of she needs external love to feel validated because she's got some abandonment issues i mean that's come through very clearly yeah but within the episode it was interesting because christine said to coach and said to jeff i want to come back into this game for myself and then what do you have with brandon you've got brandon who's this character who who is he constantly referring to god and once again christine referenced matt so they're very much, they were very much in the episode trying to, to, to make us pay attention to this idea of playing for yourself versus playing for God, which was something they brought up last season as well. Yeah. So it's interesting to me the way bringing this scene back again. Yeah. Do you think it's possible for Christine to pull a mat? Uh, I don't think she's going to. I actually think Papa Bear is going to be the returnee right now. He's my, my favorite right now. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure if Papa Bear will win or not, but I definitely don't think Christine is going to go on a run like Matt did. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I think the only reason they put that comment in is to draw the dichotomy between Matt and Brandon because Matt used faith in a very different way. He oh, yeah. used it in a very, very positive way, and Brandon uses it as a crutch. And, you know, I don't, we don't know Brandon in real life, so I can't really talk about his psychology or that in depth of a level. But it's clear that he uses it to whatever he has, things he doesn't want to do himself, rather than, you know, think about them. He just goes, oh, I'm a man of God, so I can't do that. I can't indulge in the flesh, that kind of idea. Whereas Matt was using it as a source to draw strength. Yeah. So I think they only did that to make us really consider how Brandon was using his strength, or using his faith, I mean. Yeah, they're definitely using it in two totally different ways. Mm-hmm. For yeah, for Matt, it was a source of, of of strength, of energizing, and for Brandon, it's almost hindering him. It's hurting his game because uh, it's sort of pushing him farther down and making him feel guilty and regretting his decisions. Well, it's because it's interesting you use the phrase pushing it, pushing him down. I would say it's because he's using it to push himself down. If he's you know, rather than letting it out and being like, yo, Michaela, I'm attracted to you, but I'm married, so I'm going to, you know, be a little distant from you, and I hope you understand that, and addressing it, you know, like a man, mm-hmm. because that's how he wants to deal with it, he pushes it down, and then it, it comes out and it manifests, and he starts lying to people, and he starts, you know, trying to get Michaela voted out, and all that does is make him look bad rather than Michaela. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about the tribe dynamics of Savai. It's sort of interesting to me in this tribe, whereas in Upolo, I sort of know who's in control of the game. You sort of have that five alliance. And in Savai, you, you do have the three plus two alliance, but it's it's never fully clear to me who in the alliance is actually in control. And I found it very interesting that Ozzy told Keith about the Hidden Media Idol, and Keith went directly to Whitney and and told her, and this is the first time Whitney's gotten airtime the entire season <laughs> for that one yeah. little clip. But I just she doesn't have Native American ancestors to talk about who are going to help her live off the land. That's <laughs> true. Guys, yeah. Not there. <laughs> 
when you don't when you don't have Native American ancestors, they really can't show you. <laughs> exactly, it's the survivor editing rule. <laughs> That's why Philip got so much attention <laughs> last season. <laughs> well, who do you think is sort of in control of the Savai'i tribe? Is it is it Keith? Is it Ozzy? Is it Jim? Well, I think the the way to look at this is to to, to once again demonstrate how I look at the editing versus the reality of it and being able to deduce what the reality of is to figure out what's going on with the editing. I think Keith is in control, but I think they don't want us to see that because they're setting up Ozzy getting voted out. I think it's very clear from what happened at Tribal Council that everyone knows Ozzy has the idol. Nobody switched. Nobody thought about Papa Bear possibly having the idol, even though he put on a pretty good ruse. If, if they didn't know Ozzy had the idol, I think they would have split the votes or something. But they all went along with it, and they all voted for Papa Bear. I mean, that's just stupid. In today's day and age of Survivor, everybody knows to split the votes. I mean, Coach, who's not a brilliant strategist, split the votes over at Polu because he thought Christine might have it. And you're telling me they didn't split the votes at Savai? Come on. They know better than that. But in reality, they're not letting us know that everyone knows Ozzy has it. Like you said, all they're showing is that Keith, Whitney, and Ozzy know he has the idol. But we can figure out that they don't. So I think Ozzy is on borrowed time. I think his end has been foreshadowed. And I think Keith is the one who's really in control of that alliance. Yeah. The thing was interesting to me is the person who I think is out of the loop then is Jim, who did vote for Cochran. He said just in case Papa Bear has the idol. So uh, I think their thought was Papa Bear only has one vote. If we do one other vote, then it, it, it would be a tie, so to speak, between whoever yeah, Papa Bear is. Yeah, I found that was. interesting, too, that Jim, that Jim even did that. I mean, just from a strategic standpoint, it's like, what's the point in that, you know, making a tie vote? It just doesn't make any sense. But then didn't uh, Papa Bear vote for Jim? Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> so really, Jim was really Jim. That was just CYA, you know. He at least wanted the fourth to tie because then if there's a revote, he was making everyone choose between him and Cochran. Yeah. So that was just CYA, is all that was. Yeah. He, he could be on the inside of the alliance. He could know Ozzy had the idol, but it was just he was just he was just covering his ass. Yeah. But I do think your point about Jim is valid. I actually had him after the first episode as an early winner favorite. But I thought the second episode, they just went out of their way. The editors went out of their way to make him look like a fool. Oh, yeah, And I definitely. don't think they're going to do that if he were... If, if a player like him were to win the game, I don't think they would have done that. Yeah. No, yeah, I definitely... After the first episode, we were saying on the podcast that he seemed to be a very good strategist and be very bright and everything. And it was smart of him to get... To ensure that Samhar got voted out so she wasn't too close to Ozzy. Um, but then the second episode, you know, they just made him look like a big idiot, and Keith and Ozzy were the two that were uh, the ones in control. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, who knows what the reality of the situation is? It would seem like the reality lines up with the way they're editing that, but either way, they still didn't have to put in that stuff about, oh, I used to be the not cool kid. Now I'm just barely at the cool kid's table. Like, it just, you know, it just made him look awful. To me, if I had to compare Jim to a previous survivor, the person who comes to mind to me is Jean Robert. From China. Just sort of that... Yeah, I think that's fair, especially with the whole poker player thing. Yeah, who thinks he's just so good at this game, and then we see that, really, the other people are actually in control of it. Well, and this is something you can do. I mean, you've actually made a very smart comparison here. This is something you can do if you look at the history of Survivor, is they often cast people 
who they're looking to make the game look better. They did it with Jean Robert. They're doing it with Jim. They did it with Ashley Massaro in China. They went to the WWE and they were like, can you send us a pro wrestler? They do that hoping this pro wrestler will not do well. And she didn't do well and they made her look bad. And another perfect example of someone they did it with was Jimmy Johnson. You know, you, coach, you have this NFL head coach, you know, he's won national titles in college football with Miami Hurricanes. He's won NFL titles with the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And you have him come on and say Survivor is the toughest thing he's ever done and ever seen. Like, all that does is make your show look better. Same yeah. thing, you've got these strategists, these poker strategists, and they get destroyed, you know? They consciously made Todd destroy John Robert. I mean, that was in the first episode. Yeah. And they're doing it. It makes their show look better. Absolutely, yeah. So do you think Whitney and Elise are just sort of the the Natalie and Ashley of this season? I think that's being generous because I think <laughs> Natalie and Ashley actually played very well, and they get a lot of disrespect for the way they played. And I think Nata uh, or Whitney and Elise just, I don't even know anything about them yet. I mean, at least by episode two or three, I knew about Ashley and Natalie. You know, mm-hmm. I do think they're, I don't, I don't think they're going to be around long term. I do not see them involved in the end game. Mm-hmm. I've noticed one, another way that Survivor has evolved is that I think in the beginning seasons, you really got to know everyone who played. And in later seasons, they really only focus on a couple characters. And then there's other people. The person who comes to mind most is Purple Kelly from Nicaragua, who you don't even really see in the season. Well, I mean, I agree with you about what you said in general, where this is what I was saying in the beginning, where it's not about the characters anymore. It's about a general story they're telling. You know, uh, Nicaragua was about everyone overplaying and Fabio just kind of laughing his way to the million. And Redemption Island was about Rob playing as a survivor god and showing everyone how to play the game. And this season kind of seems to be about people who have their head on straight versus people who don't. And whoever has their head on straight is going gonna, is gonna to come out on top. But I think Purple Kelly is a perfect example of what pulled me back into the editing. Actually, I think maybe without Purple Kelly's storyline, I never would have gotten back into writing about Survivor because her edit was crafted very intentionally. You know, Nayaka was this big villain, so when she quit, it was, for me at least, it was this big, like, karma moment, you know? It's like, yeah, you quit. Like, that's what happens to people like you. But when Purple Kelly quit, it was just kind of like going out with a whimper, and especially the way she did, she just quit following someone else. And if you look at her edit from the beginning of the season, it wasn't just that she was invisible. It was she was in, her visib- invisibility was visible. And what I mean by that is they went out of their way to make a point that she was invisible. Uh, there was one reward challenge I'll always remember where she was sitting there with Chase, and Chase asked her, "You don't really talk much, do you?" And she's like, <laughs> "Yeah." Now, in reality, he was referring to Purple Kelly and Naoka not talking very much. You can get that from the context because of who was on the reward. But the way they edited it was to make it look like she doesn't talk at all. So they very much did almost a hit job on her because of the way she quit the game. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would just be so disappointed if I were someone who made it onto the show of Survivor and then I didn't get much airtime and no one knew who I was. Like, how disappointing would that be? Well, I, no, I agree with you 100%. But at the same time, that was the name of the episode. You reap what you sow. And mm-hmm. she went out there and she quit. She followed Nayaka out of the game when she had a good chance of winning. I mean, let's be serious. She, everyone liked her. She's a pretty girl. She was going to fly to the end. 
You know, yeah. if he had been with Sash, he might have picked up, you know, playing because everybody didn't like Sash. And she quit. So the producers, you know, did what they thought was moral. And that's part of the reason I like the storyline so much. Is it's like, yeah, it's good to see someone getting punished for what she did, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about the immunity challenge a little bit. I, I've really enjoyed this immunity challenge. I always like it when they come up with sort of new original ones. And I'm glad that we're finally getting back to the water because um, it's been a long time since we had water challenges. The whole uh, boogie board back as they will you in and then do the grappling hooks and the banner. I, I thought it was a really original and sort of one of those bigger elaborate challenges that I thought was was really entertaining to watch. Oh, yeah. I was like, when I watched it, I was like, wow, this is an intense challenge. We haven't seen one of those for a while. So I agree with that. And another thing that is always good for a challenge is when it's close and neck and neck. And especially at the beginning of the challenge with the boogie board, it was back and forth, back and forth. And uh, you never want to see one tribe just blow the other one out of the water because it's not nearly as entertaining to watch. Oh, these are clearly two very evenly matched tribes in reality. You know, they seem to be neck and neck every challenge. I mean, that first challenge was, that was legit. That wasn't editing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it really was like one coconut. And that's, you you never see that in Survivor. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, what stuck out to me the most in this challenge was Coach's storyline. In in my first column this season, I, I pointed out that Coach made a comment about wanting to win all the immunities, and that was the key. I thought that that was foreshadowing something. And that came back again, where it wasn't just that Coach was getting all of them. They were just showing, you know, getting all the baskets, hooking them. Yeah. It was, they were showing him just, dom- like, they made a point to be like, Coach is dominating, Coach is dominating. And Jeff Pope said it over and over again. So the fact that that was brought back again after Coach said that in the first episode. And I even believe Ozzy made a comment in the second episode about the key is winning immunities. Especially coming from Ozzy, that's a, you know that's important that he's saying that you know he's known for the fact that he got to the end in Cook Islands for dominating challenges. Yeah. So the fact that they brought that back again and made us think about that with Coach makes me think there's something going on with that storyline. Either Upoli wins a bunch of immunities, or Coach wins a bunch of immunities, or somebody wins a bunch of immunities to win the game. But the fact that they made Coach the dominator makes me think it's Coach or Upolu. Yeah. The, the other big standard of the challenge with me is they were obviously showing Papa Bear struggling and Cochran sort of being able to help his tribe uh, somewhat in the challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's getting a lot, and this is another reason I watch for the overarching plots, it's getting a, a lot easier to figure out who's going in the episode. Papa Bear gave an early confession about being on the outs, and then in the challenge they were like, Papa Bear is struggling, and I was like, oh, well that was just giving a reason for him going on, yeah. going home. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's getting really easy to pick that stuff out. Yeah, definitely. I, I felt bad for Ozzy hit at the times when, like, he was trying to pull the thing and his tribe wasn't getting the rope going. And then when he um, lost his grip on the board and it was falling behind, and it, it almost made Ozzy seem, like, not as strong as... Um, we used to view him. I, I don't know. His team is, isn't dominating like I had originally thought they might do. And so it's, it was very interesting. You know, I didn't expect um, Coach's team to win, and they did. So, you know, it, it's definitely the, – the game is not going exactly the way I thought it was going to go. So it's very interesting to me. I think that was a, that's a great observation by Nicole, and this goes to what you were saying before, Dave, about – 
you know, who's in control of the vibe? What are the, the dynamics? They're going out of their way to make Ozzy look silly. You know, he's like, I want to keep Semhar Hargos home. Oh, I'm Ozzy, a challenge dominator. At mm-hmm. Ozzy sucks in challenges. So mm-hmm. I think they're, it's completely setting up his, his fall, and I think it's a great observation by Nicole. So uh, we talked about Papa Bear at the Immunity Challenge. Let's, let's talk about him a little bit more. I thought it was very clear the first time they showed Papa Bear in a confessional saying he knows he's not safe and everything, that he was probably going to be the one voted out. But, yeah, I, agree. I agree completely with that. Yeah. The one thing that I really liked about his edit was that they always showed Papa Bear as being very self-aware. He knew what was going on and where he stood within the pl- the plans. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I'm i actually a big Papa Bear fan. I'm really disappointed he was voted out. Uh, he was one of my favorite players this season. And this is, you know, this is fandom versus, you know, my analysis. And yeah. I just, I, you know, he's very logical. He's very self-aware. You know, he was never overly emotional. And I, I really appreciated that in, in a player. But now, you know, putting on my, my writer's hat, it is, I think he had a very well-crafted edit for someone who is only around for three episodes, which is what makes me think he's going to be the one who returns from Redemption Island. Because why, why make us like him? Why put in all this effort to make him seem that self-aware and seem like such a good player if he's only going to be voted out third? I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, my only thing is, like, I could see him winning some challenges on Redemption Island, but, like, let's say Ozzy gets voted out. Can can you see Papa Bear be, beating Ozzy? No, which is the other interesting thing is it's been all which people voted out this season so far, you know? So I agree with you completely. If Ozzy gets voted out, then Papa Bear is not winning. So I don't know. Maybe they just maybe they just liked the guy and wanted to give him a good edit. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, he seems like a very nice person. Yeah. Uh, and I definitely enjoyed watching him, and I was rooting for him, Don, and Cochran um, to sort of somehow survive and break up the three plus two alliance. But uh, well, I was voting for him. I don't know about Cochran. <laughs> <laughs> Not a big Cochran fan. <laughs> no, I think I think Cochran gives Survivor fans a, a bad name. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy. You know, I'm sure he's a smart guy, but. Knowing trivia is the same as knowing strategy, you know? And you just yeah. went out there and, you know, anyone who's a true gamer isn't going to go out there and act like he did at the beginning. I'm not saying you should hide his Survivor fandom, but don't go out there and be like, oh, I know all these facts and these stats, but look at how bad I am interpersonally. It's like you're focusing on the wrong things about the game, you know? Yeah. He may know all the ins and outs of Survivor. Being a Survivor fan, the number one thing about Survivor is your social game. And I don't think he's had a very good social game at all. No, I agree completely. And the best way I can explain it is uh, football-wise. You know, there's two things. There's game planning and there's execution. And game planning is all the cerebral stuff that I'm sure Cochran has. I mean, he goes to Harvard. I think that's got to be smart. You yeah. know, it's knowing all the strategies and knowing the moves to pull. But then execution is what you do physically on game day. It's how it comes out and what happens during those 60 minutes. And it's the same thing on Survivor. Like, you have to have both. You have to be smart and know what to do, but you also have to execute from day one to day 39. And I just I haven't seen Cochran do that, so I'm not a fan. And it's, it's teased a little in the uh, previews, but I'm, I'm always very, very skeptical of the next times, and usually whatever they show is like the exact opposite. 
Yeah, I don't take those into account. I don't consider those part of the story either. The only reason I watch them is just to see what the final words are because they always put them right before the final words. Yeah. Um, what did you think of Papa Bear with this whole um, sort of Rupert Bonham strategy of picking a rock or something and making it appear that you have the hidden immunity idol? I admired the fact that he tried something because it was obvious to me he was going home. And I sat there and went, well, this sucks. What is he going to do? What's his plan going to be? And to me, I appreciate people who try and who apply themselves and mm-hmm. want to be there. And the fact that he at least put an effort and said, you know what, I'm not going to sit down and take this, and this plan may not be the best, but I'm going to do it, I think that's admirable. And I think that shows you know, why I was a fan of him and why he's worth people saying, hey, these are the kind of people I want to see play the game. These are the people I want to see win the game. Yeah, overall, like these past three episodes, Papa Bear came across very well, except during his final tribal council, where like everything he was saying was just sort of like, what? I I got that anyway. So he was sort of where where he was trying to give uh, advice to Cochran, and like physically he's going to be a threat to himself. I was just like a little confused like that. Or we don't have to worry, we're in the three. <laughs> and I'm like, I think you do need to worry because you're not in the five. Uh, what were your thoughts on yeah. his tribal council performance? Uh, I think it's. I think he's a genuinely nice guy, and he was trying to balance between throwing someone under the bus and not being a jerk about it. I mean, what, what, what you're doing when you say Cochran's not that strong physically, and you're saying, Cochran, I think you need to on yourself physically, you're, you're just paying attention to the fact that everyone said Cochran's weak, which you know. You know you know that from technically. So I think he didn't want to make Cochran feel bad because he genuinely liked the guy, but at the same time he was trying to save his own skin, so I think it was a balancing act. Okay, I can see that. I also think the interesting thing about that tribal council is the fact that uh, Dawn didn't even seem to want to side with the three. And I think that goes back to showing her being friends with Ozzy in the beginning. I think that was kind of, you know, I think there's more going on there than we're being shown. Yeah, she's definitely a lot more in with the five than than Cochran or Papa Bear were. And I can even see her sort of charming her way in, in and getting in before some of the other people, like maybe Jim. Yeah, I mean, that could possibly happen. But I see if there's kind of like, you know, if they all turn on Ozzy, I kind of see her being maybe a victim of that. Because she yeah. stayed by Ozzy's side. I could see that too, yeah. But, uh, I mean, I think I, I'm, I read a couple of the player profiles before the game, and I think she's she's pretty game savvy, so she, she knows what she's doing. Yeah. I thought the first episode, it really gave her a Holly from Nicaragua edit, where she was having that breakdown, but she has the potential to turn it around at the, yeah, at the end and just be really good at the game. Yeah, no, I agree. That's a great observation. I'm going to list some of the different players uh, from this season and give me your thoughts of if you think they're long-term players or short-term players uh, or where you sort of see them within the story arc of this season. Okay. Uh, The first one I'm going to give you is Edna. Uh, I actually think Edna might sneak into the the final three. She's getting a under-the-radar kind of mix edit where – or I think the better comparison is Becky from mm-hmm. Cook Island, where she's there and she's not going to get any votes, but she's playing a good game, and you, you have to respect that. The interesting thing about her storyline-wise is the fact that they've made her so linked to, to Coach. Yeah, and, and the fact that she wears 
tree male as a visor. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's very that's very funny that she does that. And uh, non storyline wise, I appreciate it. No, I think she's a smart lady. I mean, she's a fan of Austrian economics, so that makes me instantly like her. Anyone who likes von Mises, you know, you got to give some respect to. This one may be obvious, but uh, Stacy. Stacy is. I mean, she's she's toast. I mean, <laughs> she's 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 glad of your time. I, I bet if Polo loses another immunity challenge, and she goes home. Yeah. I mean. There's nothing else to her. They've they they went out of their way to show there were two of them, even though she didn't even vote with Christine. And they're they're going out of their way to show she's not part of that tribe. So she's toast. I mean, maybe she lasts because they win a bunch of immunities, but she's not going anywhere in the game. Okay. What about Cochran? Cochran's interesting to me because I don't think he wins based upon the storyline, but they have this interesting parallel going on between him and Brandon, where both of them are kind of fighting their their personalities, you know. Cochran's this kind of neurotic guy who's very very self deprecating and Brandon is, you know, Brandon Brandon. We won't go into that. Yeah. But uh with the parallel, you know, you could argue that Cochran's gonna turn it around. It's just I don't think from the episode one edit anyone survives gonna win. But if Cochran does, I see that, that he does have a good story. So it's gonna be interesting to see what happens to him. Here's one that they haven't really shown much, especially uh, since episode one. Rick. See, I thought Rick had a really interesting episode one edit. You know, he had the whole, you have to be prepared to play this game, and he's in there in the five. Yeah. But the fact that he hasn't been around the last two episodes at all, I mean, you wouldn't even know he's on the show at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes me think that he isn't going to go anywhere, and he's just kind of like a prophet, and they put him in in episode one to show, you know, these are important things to understand. Maybe he goes down if Coach gets backstabbed and he's aligned with Coach. Or I could see him sliding all the way to the end and, you know, getting voted out late. Or maybe he even sits at the final three and just doesn't get any votes. We haven't really seen him at all the past two episodes. Just glimpses of his mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. He's, he's, he's got a mustache. That's it. Maybe he's going to, you know, twirl his mustache and go tie a girl to train track somewhere and Dudley Do-Right's going to come along. <laughs> all right. What do you think of Sophie? I think Sophie has a great edit, and if there's anyone that's kind of like got the slow building strategist edit, I think it's her. You know, she's been shown as distrusting of Brandon. She's she's in the alliance, but she's not really suckered by it. You know, she's she's self aware enough, and they they show a couple comments of her every every episode. So I think she's got a really good edit going on. I just don't see her having a story. And that's the main thing that I, that's important to me is, yeah, Sophie's smart and Sophie's aware of what's going on, but what's her story? Yeah. All right, let's go back to Savai and go with Elise. So I guess she's off somewhere in the, the jungle smoking peyote and getting her spirit guy to tell her how to play the game. Apparently her spirit guy didn't tell her how to get on TV, though, so. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> I mean, she's a good-looking girl. I, you know, I'd probably talk to her and see what's going on, but based upon the editing, there's not much going on. Yeah. What about Michaela? I mean, if you've read my column, you know Michaela is my, my pick to win the game. I think they've gone out of their way to make her look strong. I think the way they edited her crying in this episode went out of the way to make her look strong because it wasn't like, oh, here's a, a wussy girl who can't handle the game. It was like, damn, here's a strong girl who's trying her hardest, and you know, being completely rational, I think she handled the Brandon situation well. She was just like, what's your problem with me? Which is completely the right thing to do. It's like, if you have a problem, tell me. 
And, yeah, so they've gone out of their way to make her look strong. And at the beginning of the episode, I thought they went out of their way to include one of those, oh, look, this girl is strategizing confessionals. Right after the tribal council, she was saying, oh, you know, I don't think I've done anything wrong in this game. I think I've, everyone likes me, and I don't see why I would be on the block. And yeah. that was proven to be correct. And I don't think they're going to give someone a confessional showing that what they're thinking is correct if they don't want us to think positively of them. And then you have to ask, why do they want us to think positively of her? One more person who we haven't seen a lot, but sort of got a favorable sort of scene uh, at Tribal Council, not this past episode, but the one before, is Albert. What are your thoughts on Albert? One word, Grant. I think he's the Grant of the season. I actually really like Albert. I mean, we were talking about Papa Bear before and about being, you know, really self-aware and really rational. Albert is a bright dude. Like, if you hear what he says at Tribal Council, I love what, what he says, and I love the way he talks, and he's spot on. But once again, his entire story is the five-person alliance, and we know nothing about him besides that. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Albert. I would love for Albert to win this game. That would that would be – he's probably my favorite player in the game. But is he going to win this game? No, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I, I initially, if I had picked someone to compare to Grant, and initially – was uh, Keith, and I sort of saw Ozzy being Boston Rob and him him being Grant, but I definitely think they're showing, especially with this episode, that it's a different kind of relationship where he's not going to just blindly follow Ozzy, and Keith is going to be more aware of what's going on and potentially getting rid of Ozzy. Yeah, I thought that in the first episode, too. I made the exact same comparison, the Grant comparison, but I actually think Keith is more Mike, where he's. I think Keith is a good player, I think gotcha. he's probably going to end up on the wrong side of the numbers, and you're going to go, man, I wish I could see him try and take this to the end. Yeah. Because that's how I felt about Mike last season was he was smart, and he was playing the game well, and he made all the right moves. It was just, you know, Matt looked out on him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we have uh, one more topic, and uh, survivor quotes. And these are just some uh, interesting, funny, or memorable quotes throughout this episode. As much as Cochran may not be playing it, a a good game. He does have some pretty great one-liners. Uh, one of my favorites was when he was talking about going to Redemption Island. It was just a chance for extended failure. <laughs> yeah, no. It, I mean, it, show, it shows his character right there, and, you know, it, it shows his, his survivor fandom. I thought that was a, a great quote. I, was, I laughed pretty hard. I agree that Cochran's good. That's why he got cast, you know? He's, yeah. He's, he's good TV. Yeah. And then... The other one of his that I really liked was uh, when he went up to vote, he's like, I don't need any more anxiety in my life. <laughs> <laughs> he's a good character. I'll give him that. <laughs> I thought Sophie had a really good quote um, when she said, I guess if you put it in biblical terms, Michaela's like the whore of Babylon. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly it. Is there, once again, they're going out of their way to make Brandon look like a fool. And it was, yeah, it was a very, it was a very, very funny, self-aware, sarcastic comment. That's, that's the kind of humor I like. So yeah. somebody who I'd like to talk to in real life. I'd like to see what's going on with her intellectually. She seems like she might be really interesting to talk to. I see. I, I really liked her after I saw her pre-show interview before the season aired. I was like, I think she can go really far. I love her her humor and everything. And Nicole was just like, well, I found her sort of arrogant. So we were sort of debating which one would happen on Survivor. Would people sort of be drawn to her or would they find her as arrogant? 
she went to uh, she went to Middlebury or she goes to Middlebury and she's a pre med student, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she probably had some of that intellectual arrogance, and it's probably earned to a certain extent. But you know, someone who grew up in the Northeast and went went to a private high school, who you know, a lot of kids went to schools like that from my high school, and yeah, there is a little bit of that when you go to you know a little Ivy school like Millbury. So I'm sure it's in there. So I think that that's probably a fair observation, and you know, maybe that's what cost her in the end because I could see a Michaela, Sophie, Edna final three, and you would think Sophie would be the mastermind at that point, and why would she lose the game? Maybe she rubs people the wrong way as she goes because of what Nicole just observed. So I think that's that's smart and to keep that on the back burner. And then and then one more for me. I always I always hate these quotes that are not necessary at all. So Brandon Hans or Hans just says, "I'm me." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he had another one like that, too, that somebody pointed out to me where Michaela was like, why did you vote for me? And he's like, because I want you gone. And she's like, why do you want me gone? Because I don't like you. So essentially his argument was, I don't like you, therefore I don't like you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe not the best uh, as far as the English language, but uh, I appreciate him. He's a young kid, you know, he's 19 years old. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's really hard for me to forget that he's only 19. He's he's so young in the terms of Survivor. Because to me, he doesn't, like, from looking at him, I don't automatically get, like, 19-year-old. Yeah, and I, I think sometimes people forget that when they watch the show. I mean, I know Natalie caught a lot of heat last season because, you know, she basically just rode Rod's coattails all the way to the end. But how long do you expect a pretty 19-year-old girl to play the game? Like... That's the perfect strategy for her to play. Yeah. Unfortunately, she's not able to argue it. But you know, you have to remember that when you watch when you watch this stuff is why people are acting the way they do. That's what makes it interesting. And that's the thing about Brandon is you know he is erratic and he is all over the place. But can you imagine having Russell Hance in your life as a uh, an influential force? I mean, that's going to mess with anyone. <laughs> he's 19 years old in this situation where he's deprived of food and water, like. I completely get why he's going through what he's going through. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, screw him, you know? Yeah. It's it's definitely, like, for me, it's always important to keep in mind the character that you're seeing on TV and that these are actual people in real life who are going through sleep deprivation, starvation, dehydration. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, we can't understand what that does to someone, you know what I mean? We get food. We get water. We get to sleep in nice beds every night, you know? Um, Did you have any uh, other quotes that stood out to you? I mean, the one quote that stood out to me, which kind of I think will be Brandon's quote, is just the whole good, evil confessional. Yeah. Just the way that was delivered and the way that was edited was just, it shows the the skill of the editors, that whole good, evil, good, evil, the pacing of it and where it was in the episode. I think that will stand as kind of like the definitive, at least in my mind, as the definitive memorable quote of Brandon Hans. Yeah. The other big one was the title of the episode, You Reap What You Sow. I think that one was very yeah. intentional. Well, right, and this goes back to the whole idea of, there, you know, what we were talking about with, with Purple Kelly, about why it was okay that she was that it is invisible. She reaped what she sowed. And it goes back to the whole idea of why I can't see Brandon winning this game. Like, what has he done to show he can win this game? You know? Nothing. <laughs> exactly, and that's why I don't see him winning, and that's why I don't see Coach winning because he's aligned with him. And you know, that's been the theme since day one: is you got to be prepared for this game. You've got to come into this game 
and, you know, you can't worry about your demons. Episode one is, you know, it's about being prepared for the game. It's not about worrying about redemption. Episode two was all about it can't be about your past and the demons you have. Episode three was about you reap what you sow. What you, what you did is going to, you know, it's going to come back to you. So continually we see somebody stable, somebody who can handle themselves is going to win this game. And I, I think that definitely shows, at least in my mind, that I think Michaela is going to last longer than Brandon. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, even if she doesn't win, at the very least, her storyline has been crafted to show why Brandon loses and why someone like her wins the game. Yeah. It's just at this point, I can't. I don't see anyone else besides her. Like, if somebody had a similar edit but a little bit different, I would say, yeah. I mean, maybe Keith. Maybe Keith is the Michaela of his tribe. I just don't, you know, he didn't have a very good episode one, and in Survivor, episode one is so important. There's usually something in episode one that foreshadows someone winning. My favorite one in all of Survivor was, I don't know if it was episode one, but it was Johnny Fairplay in Pearl Island saying how Sandra, Sandra's not going to make it to the end, and she's, I have a million dollars, I'll bet you a million dollars that she's not going to win the game. <laughs> yeah, I know that, that that was a good one. Yeah, I mean, fair play. I mean, how can you not love fair play? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's... one was probably episode one of Fiji, where was in the test first two and a half minutes. Earl standing atop, going, "I'm the king of Fiji." I, the second I saw that, I knew he had won, and it just I enjoyed watching Earl just dominate that season from that point on. Yeah, for me, anyways, maybe not always being. Uh, storyline oriented when I first watch it. That's why I really enjoy going back and rewatching previous seasons of Survivor and seeing, oh, I now see how they edit it and how they support it knowing the outcome of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And once you do that and once you attune yourself to that, you'll pick it up a lot easier from when it's airing from the beginning. All right. Well, we're going to move on to 10 faves. We have 10 questions for you, Justin, about your favorite or least favorite things. Are you ready? Okay. Is this survivor-oriented, or is this just going to be anything? Both. Okay. <laughs> Bring it on. All right, here we go. Favorite season of Survivor? My favorite season is actually Survivor Redemption Island. I know that's probably unpopular, <laughs> but I'm a huge Boston Rob fan. To me, it would not have been a satisfying season if anyone else would have won. <laughs> Well, right. I mean, clearly the whole thing was edited around him. So, yeah, I mean, story-wise, it would have just been such a disappointment. All right. Favorite band or artist? My favorite band is Newfound Glory. Right. Uh, they're actually going out on tour this fall. On this, It's called the Pop Punk's Not Dead Tour with uh, The Wonder Years, Set Your Goals, Man Overboard, and This Time Next Year. It's going to be a really awesome tour. If you want to know why pop punk music is good, you should check that out. Cool. Favorite non-Survivor TV shows? That are currently airing or that of all time? Let's do all time. Okay, my favorite show of all time is Lost. I think when you look at what television storytelling can do, that nothing comes close to it. But I think the best show on television right now is Mad Men. I'm a Lost fan, so I just love asking this question. What were your thoughts on the finale of Lost? Because it's either a love or hate it sort of a thing usually. I was disappointed because I think the ending was very philosophically incorrect, and I think it disrespected a lot of the characters. But I understand why they did it, and it makes sense. You know, it follows from what they had set up. I just, I would have ended it differently. I think the whole, oh, you know, they get together in purgatory, and they're all 
kind of, in, in some ways, it's kind of a cop-out. I can get that. And that's the short version. You can also <laughs> check out on, on my blog. You can see all my thoughts on that. So if you want to see a detailed analysis of why I didn't like the finale, you, you can check that out on my blog. Okay. Least favorite Survivor contestants. Yeah. My least favorite Survivor contestant ever is Naoka. <laughs> she is everything that I don't like about the stereotypes of black America. I think that she made herself look bad, and I think the way she acted was just, it was just extremely unintelligent. I mean, say what you want about dreams, but the dude was trying to be, he was trying to be a player. He was trying to be a mastermind, you know? He, he worked to the best of his ability. Yeah. Bianca, you know, she was talking about swag and moving her head around in that stereotypical way. And I just don't like that. It's like, be yourself. You know, don't be a stereotype. And I just don't like that. And the way she disrespected the game, awful. Even back in the day when you look at the villains, they, they just weren't that despicable of a, of a person. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to just talk about someone who was recently on the show, but I, like I said, I, when she quit the game, I don't think there was a better ending for her story. I mean, she's sitting there talking about what's better for her, and she's creating a world that's just a malevolent world. I mean, you win the, the reward challenge, and you know you're going to go home, and you still take the reward. I mean, put yourself in the other person's shoes. Do you really want to live in a world where you know you're going to be starving and nobody helps you out, even though they're going to have food anyway? You know, I'm not saying you should give. I'm not saying you're obligated to give to other people. But I'm saying ask yourself what kind of a world you want to live in and try and make that world happen. And Nayaka does not do that. And I, I just despise that. Yeah. It definitely was something that... It, she wasn't a villain because of her gameplay. She was a villain because of who she was, or at least who she was trying to be. Well, right, exactly. And I think it's important to, to say that in life, who you are and, who and what your gameplay is are the same thing. And that's one of the reasons I love Survivor. And that's what it really reveals, is how you play reveals who you are, and who you are affects how you play. And that's exactly true about life, and so many people don't realize that. All right, favorite social networking site? Uh, I'm actually a big fan of Twitter because I have found so many good bands through Twitter. You know, Facebook's been around forever, and it's kind of, you know, the, the standard bearer, and, you know, they've made all those changes recently. But I think Twitter's great in the way that it makes you really consider what you're saying because you only have 140 characters. And it's a great way to, to get a lot of information quickly without having to really delve deeply into it. It's mm -hmm. kind of based on the, the drudge report manner of looking at things where it's a whole bunch of little snippets of stories and you can decide then. And the fact that you get to decide who you want to follow and who you, what your information is going to be based upon that. Yeah. Um, do you have any opinion on tout? <laughs> uh, you should be asking my friend who's sitting upstairs late for me. He, he's a social networking guy for our company. I don't even know what tout is. What is it? Um, Tout's the new thing that Jeff Probst is doing. You know, he started tweeting during Survivor. He's now tweeting uh -huh. and touting, which is like Twitter, but video form. So you have like 15 second videos that you can do. That's an interesting idea. And it's, it's probably actually ahead of its time. I just think that people don't have the, the, the technology right now. I mean, can you do that with an iPhone? Like, can I just take a 15 second? I mean, I still have a 3G iPhone over here. You know, I'm, I'm waiting for the 5 to be released so I can finally upgrade. But can you do that with like a 4G, with an iPhone 4, I mean? 
Can you just take fifteen second video of yourself and upload it that quickly? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I don't I don't know what Jeff Probst uses. He's the only one who I know who actually uses tout. So, <laughs> so literally it's it's not tout, it's Jeff Probst. So you wanna know what I think of Jeff Probst. <laughs> I, I think conceptually it's a good idea. I would love to see it move away from, from textual communication. I mean that's the one thing about the internet is it's it's so textual. And I'm a writer, so you know, I love words, but the, the problem with purely textual communication, it's like, dude, it's like when you meet a girl, right, and all she wants to do is text. Like, you can't know someone through texting. It's like, talk to her on the phone. Like, you know, go out on a date. Same thing. It's so mediated that you can't really know another person. Yeah. If you move towards video communication, I actually think that that may improve the internet. I just don't know if the technology is there yet. Yeah. Favorite Survivor Challenge? You're going to go classic. The best challenge of all times is hands on the idol. Nice. Yeah. You know, it, it, it shows that who wants it more. And that's, that. once again, that's what life comes down to, you know. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. If you do not apply yourself and you do not want things, you're not going to get it. And that's why it's great. You know, end of the game, everyone's tired, everyone's weak, everyone's been through the ringer, and you have to decide you want it more. Yeah, I've always had a special place in my heart for that challenge, and I wish they would bring it back more. I know they they don't like that, you know, some people may find it boring that they're just standing there for hours upon hours, but to me, like, those are the most compelling or most interesting challenges to watch, especially, like, uh, the final three challenge in Palau, where they're just standing there on those buoys for, like, 12 hours. I mean, for me, I love watching that. Oh, yeah, and this is why I could never run Survivor and why I have so much respect for Jeff Probst and Mark Burnett. If somebody came to me and they proposed that we got rid of that challenge, hands on the idol, I'd be like, anyone who doesn't think we should have it is an idiot, and by the way, for suggesting it, you're fired. <laughs> Favorite Survivor contestants ever? One uh, or I mean, more? I heard, you already said it with my first, entry, it was my first answer, uh, Boston Rob Mariano. Maybe it's so popular, but I do think he's the best player ever to play the game. What impresses me about, about Rob is, and this is something that's really important to me about life, is not only does he have the theoretical knowledge about how to play the game, but he can apply it in the way he interacts with people and in the way he, he wins challenges. So not only is he an intellectual player, but he's a physical player as well, as well. And there are so few people that I meet in life who can achieve that, who can be mind and body, intellectual and physical. So the fact that he can do that and he has fun and has a personality at the same time. I I just find him such an admirable person. Yeah, uh, and and he's the he has the trifecta of also being a great social player, very charming, and and having great social skills as well. Right. Yeah. Right. One hundred percent. I agree. If you had to pick a second person, who would it be? Second person of all time. Uh, Earl would be my second favorite player of all time. I think. His game is extremely underrated. I, I don't. I think enough people don't talk about him, and I think he's he's very similar to Robin that way. He doesn't have the same loud, over the top personality. You know, he's not he's not a dude from Boston. Like only you know, only people from Massachusetts can understand that. You know, Rocky he had the same similar over the top personality. But if you look at Earl, he gave an answer at the final tribal council when Rocky asked him, "Why are you the biggest kicker in this game?" And he said, "Because none of you even realized I was playing the game." And that is why Earl is good at the game. Because he's one of those people who in life, who he's always on, 
He's always trying to do what he wants to do. And he can do it because he's intelligent enough and he's likable enough. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Earl. And I, I loved him during Fiji. And I was, I'm so disappointed that Fiji as a season gets such a bad rap, and especially Earl as a winner, um, especially Jeff Probst rags on him for being boring. I found him fascinating to watch, and I, I found myself really rooting for him, even even more than Yao Man in that season. Oh, yeah, I mean, I agree completely. I mean, I like Yao. Yao's a great guy. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think you can take anything away from Yao. He's a really smart guy. He, he's awesome. I have the utmost respect for Yao, if Yao ever actually hears this. What's up, man? Uh, <laughs> uh, but I don't think that you can you can look past Earl. I think he's one of the best players ever, and I will I want to see Earl come back and play again because I think that people will not look at him as one of the the best winners ever, and I think that'll give him a real good chance to do the same thing. And you know, mm-hmm. people aren't going to see him playing again, and I think he could potentially go all the way to the end again. Yeah, and and for me, when I when I try to choose like who's the greatest survivor of all time the thing i look for is is who's who's won because i don't think you can be one of the greatest ever and lose and uh, the thing i love about earl is he won unanimously like he he not a single person voted for him not to win yeah i I mean i agree completely i think earl played one of the best games i think he's one of the best players of all time and no, I don't think really there's anything else, anything else to say about it except Earl is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite Survivor tribe name? Wow, I have never thought about that question before in my entire life. <laughs> I think the best one ever would have to be either Dabo in Micronesia or Melonio, Merlonio in Redemption Island because... I never understood why no one ever did that before. They're always like, let's, let's name the Merge Tribe. And the fact that somebody, you know, had the, the intelligence and the confidence to say, you know what, I'm just going to throw a name out here and see if people, if people did it. <laughs> if I was on the show, I would try to get everyone to just name the tribe Joe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love Merlonio. <laughs> did you enter, uh, Boston Rob had the ultimate Merlonio contest? <laughs> Nah, man, I thought about it, but I'm not a very good uh, photographer, so it wouldn't have come across. Yeah, I, I thought, I, I thought that was maybe taking. I didn't make sandwiches anyway, so I wouldn't have won. Yeah, I, I thought that was maybe taking it just a little too far. <laughs> no, nah, he was just trying to, you know, keep publicity going because he's trying to promote his new show. You know, going to keep himself yeah. active. All right, let's go to favorite fruit. Uh, let's go simple and old school, and let's just say an apple. All right, good stuff. And finally, least favorite Survivor season. My least favorite Survivor season is... I'm going to have to go with Guatemala, actually. Okay. Any particular reasons why? I hate the fact that Race didn't win. He should have won that game. I think Danny is a boring winner. I didn't like the location. And also, if I had to pick a second least favorite Survivor after Nayanka, it would be Stephanie. (laughs) Which is interesting because... Michaela, to me, the first episode was sort of giving me a Stephanie vibe of trying to, like, just be that strong female outgoing thing. Yeah, I I mean, I didn't even think of that comparison, but yeah, I mean, I can see that. Which is interesting because they gave Stephanie a huge hero edit even though she didn't win. So, although Stephanie kind of did win in the fact that she was the last remaining player on her tribe. So maybe that comparison is, once again, maybe that gives fuel to my theory. Yeah, very well could be. 
Well, that is all for 10 faves. It's now time to move on to pros and cons. This is, of course, the part of the show where Nicole will read a con or a pro, and I will give the pro or the con, uh, most of them being humorous or interesting from this past episode. Take it away, Nicole. All right. So, con, Keith told Whitney about the hidden immunity idol. Pro, we actually got to hear Whitney talk. Hooray! (laughs) Quote, Brandon stays warm by sleeping next to the fire. Con, when Brandon sleeps with his arms in his shirts, it looks like he has breasts. <laughs> Con, some cars said more poetry. Pro, at least the poetry was some weird thing about taking her clothes off. <laughs> oh my. Con, Papa Bear was voted out. Pro, Jeff never has to say the name Papa Bear again. Ah, crap. Darn you, Redemption Island. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Cochran was not voted out. Con, now that Papa Bear is gone, Cochran won't have any more anxiety freakouts. Well, he probably still will. (laughs) (laughs) Con, conflict erupted at the Upolo Beach. Pro, uh, at least Edna is still wearing her tree mail visor. And those are our pros and cons for this episode. And it is now time to move on to Award Show. So, our first award is one we are bringing back, the Purple Kelly Award. The Purple Kelly Award, of course, refers to someone who is not really shown in this episode at all. Or the season. And for right now, we actually have two winners. We have Whitney and Rick. We haven't really seen either of them at all for the past at least two episodes we did see whitney speak one sentence (laughs) this episode but uh congratulations whitney and rick for winning the purple kelly award um our next award is the dumber than a bag of hammers award and this award is going to go to brandon congratulations and why is he dumber than a bag of hammers um he is just telling lies and Letting his emotions take control. He's got this good evil thing going on. And I don't think many people like him. All right. Congratulations, Brandon Hams. You have just won the Dumber Than a Bag of Hammers Award. And now it is time to move on to David and Nicole's Survivor Play of the Day. This is the award where Nicole and I both choose the most impactful or most memorable moment from this past episode. We go back and forth. One of us concedes. And we will have a winner. So for me, the play of the day is Keith telling Whitney about the Hidden Immunity Idol. I think it showed a lot about Ozzy not being in control of the game, and it's really Keith and the rest of them, and uh, foreshadowing maybe Ozzy's demise in this game. Interesting. Um, My play of the day is quite similar. It was Ozzy telling Keith that he had the Hidden Immunity Idol. I just found that to be very interesting and kind of show how much Ozzy trusts Keith and how maybe he shouldn't be trusting him and how Ozzy might be making the same kind of mistake he's made in the past where maybe he should have kept his secret and, you know, not not get voted out with the idol. All right. Well, I think this is the perfect opportunity, we've done this before, to combine ours. And it will be people telling people about the hidden immunity idol. <laughs> So, Ozzy telling Keith, Keith then telling Whitney. They're sort of closely intertwined, and I think it's all part of one overarching theme showing Ozzy's demise. So, Ozzy telling Keith, Keith telling Whitney about the Hidden Immunity Idol is the Survivor Play of the Day. Da-da-da-da! Teamwork, Nicole. <laughs>
Now it's time to move on to coming soon. So next episode of Survivor, we have a new mastermind in town at Savai'i, and his name is Cochran. <laughs> Will he actually be able to turn around and become in the majority alliance, or is just this just a major tease to make us think that Cochran actually has a chance? <laughs> and, of course, over at Upolu, Brandon is still freaking out. And he's going to think the Alliance is turning on him, and it's just going crazier and crazier for Brandon, and I can't wait to watch. Uh, Before we let you go, we're going to do our Survivor Prediction Game, and we thought we want you to be a part of our prediction game. Uh, Each week we sort of have questions of who we think is going to win immunity, get voted out, win the duels, and and then a bonus question. Um, So the first one is, which tribe will win immunity? Do you think it's going to be Upolu or Savai? I'm going to go with Upolu because I'm going to go with my tribe dominance theory. All right. Nicole? Um, I also think Upolu is going to win. All right. I'm going to be different then and say Savai wins just so that we can kick off the last sort of inevitable player, which would be Stacy, which then brings us to the next question of who is voted out. So I'm going to predict Stacy. Who do you think is going to get voted out? Uh, I'm going to go with Dawn. Don. Okay. Um, I know this is gonna be wrong, but I'm gonna say Ozzy. That's what they were foreshadowing in the next time on Survivor, and you know I don't I don't know if it'll actually happen, but I think it would be really fun and exciting if it did happen. He's probably right. So. <laughs> <laughs> next question: Who's going to win the duel, Papa Bear or Christine? Papa Bear. All right, Nicole. Um, I think it's gonna be Christine. I don't have. A lot of hopes in Papa Bear's strength. I'm going to say Papa Bear just because I would find it very, very funny if we we had the quote from her this past episode that she wants to pull a mat and then she loses the very next duel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm going to go with Papa Bear for that. And the bonus question is, which four people will be the ones viewing the Redemption Island duel? So, which two people oh, wow. from each tribe are going to be the ones watching? Uh, Point-wise, we're going to uh, score one point for each person you get correct, and if you get all four, you get a bonus point. Let's go with <laughs> Michaela. <laughs> all right, Edna and Michaela, and then who are your two from Sabai? Don and Keith? Don and Keith. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, Justin? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Cochran and Jim from Sabai, and... Sophie and Albert from Upolu. Alright, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Albert and Brandon from Upolu and from Savai I'm going to choose Keith and Whitney. So we will those are good those are good picks. We will find out who is correct, or if all of us are all incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Survivor throws us for a loop. We'll find out next week. But I want to thank Justin once again for being on our show. We greatly appreciate you coming on and sharing your insights of the game and sort of a different perspective from a writer and storyteller view. Um, I, I think it was really fascinating to hear, hear your opinions of the show. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. It's, it's a huge compliment that you read my writing and it made you want to call me up and have me on the show. So thank you for that compliment. Yeah. And why don't you plug your, your blog one more time, just so uh, all of our listeners can also read your blog. Oh, my blog is The Midside. It's at themidside.blogspot.com. That's T-H-E-M-I-D 
S-I-D-E.blogspot.com. Check it out. Uh, and if you're like, I totally just forgot everything that he just said, uh, on our website, survivorpodcast.blogspot.com, there is also a link in the sidebar to to Justin's website. So, if, How could you forget everything I just said, though? I just said so many interesting and insightful things. <laughs> I don't Thanks know. listening, people. Come on. Yeah, really, guys. Pay attention more. <laughs> but... Uh, Thank you once again, Justin. We'd love to have you on the podcast another time. Uh, and, yeah, just thanks again. Yeah, I loved hearing your perspective, Justin. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, just shoot me an email. All right. Thank you, Justin. All right. Later, guys. Well, that is all we have for this podcast. We thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to us. You can do that on iTunes at David and Nicole Survivor Podcast. Or also check us out on our website, survivorpodcast.blogspot.com, where you can rate, comment, join the Survivor Prediction Game, um, as well as check out the mid-side, Justin's blog, over in our sidebar. But we thank you all for listening, and goodbye. Bye.